Hi, this is Craig Emmel here. I'm with Topher Grace, class of 1997, and I am in LA, and we are in a conference room in the Newhouse Hotel, I believe. We are downstairs from the site of where there will be a screening in a few hours for Black Klansmen for the Academy. Topher Grace uh, is not just a Brewster graduate, he's also an actor of significant acclaim in Hollywood. He, he, he played David Duke in uh, this Spike Lee's Black Klansman, and we are so glad to have him on, uh, on this podcast. It's, it's interesting, Topher, to, uh, I just was, I had the good fortune of, of, of watching, watching Black Klansman again very recently, and I was, I was really moved by, by it. I was really proud to know that, that you went to Brewster, because it seemed to take, uh, it must have taken an immense degree of courage to play that role. Thank you. Before we get into that, like, I have to talk about how grateful I am to Brewster. I'm not someone who, like, learned a couple things, then went to college, then went out of the world and you know, applied some of the things I learned. A lot of uh, my big break, which was getting that 70s show, happened because, uh, literally because I was at Brewster. Um, a girl in my class, uh, her parents were big time movie producers they'd written on snl and then they wrote uh wayne's world and tommy boy and uh it was bonnie and terry turner they they just uh won the golden globe for a third rock from the sun and uh i knew them through the school and they'd seen a couple of the plays i was in i think their daughter was in one of the plays and then she did the set for one of the plays and uh they called me when i was at usc the following year um and said, you know, would you like to come to your first audition? <laughs> I mean, I've been to auditions like in the gym at Brewster, <laughs> but I'd never been to uh, to anything like the auditions in here in Hollywood. And it was, um, I'm just so grateful. I mean, not just because I like met someone at Brewster, uh, but it's because of everything kind of Brewster was teaching me at that time and then I had to immediately implement it. It wasn't just getting the job, then it's, you know, you got to start making episodes of television immediately. It really it was me starting to do something I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but I had a little bit of uh, prep in doing uh, stuff at Brewster that I didn't know what I was doing either <laughs> when I was there. Well, what was that stuff you didn't know what you were doing? Yeah. Did you saw the Winter Carnival? Yes. All right. Like that was like a big, remember we had to do that lip sync thing? I was, I was so nervous to do it. A lot of what we did in the play was written by the students. I think it's actually what these producers responded to was that it wasn't a, um, the play wasn't uh, like a normal play at a, at a high school where there's like a huge budget and uh, I'm sure there's more of a budget now for the play. We didn't even have a, no. <laughs> We didn't, have, we didn't even have like a. Uh, we had to do only uh, things that had uh, shows that had no scenery in them. So it was like uh, a funny thing happened in the forum, which is when they saw me and had some scenery. We did like Our Town and Godspell, everything where you're miming all the props. But uh, one thing that came with that freedom of it not being uh, too, um, like like trying to be a Broadway show, is that we could experiment and, and change the play and bring whatever we wanted to it. And so it was very weird. I remember thinking, I can't believe I was scouted in such a, uh, a strange show where the students had such a say over what um, was going to be on stage. And then I, years later, I realized, oh, that's what they were looking for is kids who were maybe more free thinkers. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
And and how did that translate to when you actually started working full time on that '70s show? Did you feel like you had some creative control? Could you actually talk about script and lines and? Well, I, I mean, there are no arcs. rules. I'm, there might have been some social graces that I was missing, uh, especially when I started, but that didn't stop me from, uh, uh, yeah, adding my opinion. Uh, although I'm sure I was wrong, I mean, for a fact, I'm sure I was wrong more times than I was right, but, um, but that's a good thing I've learned, to, to be able to put yourself out there. Um, like I said, this doesn't have to be entirely... Brewster centric, but there was a lot of uh, Dr. Bain had just arrived at the school with a model, and uh, I'm not sure how much you guys still adopt that, but I'm sure in spirit it's kind of part of the DNA of the school. And a big part of that was working with others, and uh, that's just not a thing that was happening in the public school that I was going to, or, or that I had friends at in my where I was from. Uh, it was. It was a. It felt like that was a real capitalist society. You know, whoever mm-hmm. got the, the A was the best, yeah. and the you know, and uh, so for me being in a community where I was, they said, "Hey, the group of you four. I mean, I'm, I can remember very specific things. Lynn and I have talked. This is Lynn is sitting to my left. Lynn Palmer is a old friend of mine, and uh, and was the, the and her and her husband were the greatest influence on me in uh, when I went to Brewster. But she could tell you this too: I would be in these group exercises and I would fail. I mean, really badly, I, I, different ways too. It's like you're trying. You know, they say in Jurassic Park, like those raptors, they're trying a different part of the fence every night to see how they can get out because they can right. think. Yeah. That's what it felt like. You're kind of awakening at that time. So I tried every wrong way to work in a group. I remember, and I don't think I ever found a successful way there. I probably found it on 70s show. But um, one, there was doing the plays, which was working in a group. Um, one was just in the classrooms working on these projects. I remember one time there was a kid who I do remember his name, but I will not say it, who really thought he had the best ideas. And uh, it was about something uh, creative that I thought, um, or I should say, even this day, I'm pretty sure I had a better idea than this guy. But the thing that was wrong is I told him that. Like I I said, this is clearly better than your idea. And hence, no one's idea got made because he was so mad at, you know, and that was my time testing the fence there which is you can't go up to someone and say like, look, I think if you took a poll, everyone's going to agree. My idea is better. <laughs> <laughs> and so the ability to be at a place where you're in a safe space, I mean, there's no, there's consequences in terms of your grade, but there's no real consequence. And you can kind of try different things. Um, and certainly that's what I meant when I was saying like Winter Carnival. That was one of a million different things I did at Brewster where I, I probably failed more than I succeeded, but I, had the opportunity to try so much more than, uh, you know, where I had been living. Well, I, the good news is that the model is still alive and well, and, and I think we do, we teach collaboration better than any other school I've I've ever seen. And I'm sure that's true. It was such a weird thing when it started. I remember there were some real growing pains with even teachers understanding how to, mm-hmm. um, and I'm jealous now of the kids who go there now because uh, even my sister went after me, and she had an easier time because the teachers had started to maybe understand um, what it added, but it takes a while because there's so much, uh, you know, frankly, there's so much failure about it. Right. And, right. and that is actually the, the great teacher, right? 
And what's interesting to me is that I, I, I suspect that uh, it's a nature-nurture question because what the decisions that you've made between Brewster and now have, have, been, have been really guided by some some there's some in, there's an internal structure to it it seems you you are oh, you nice. seem like a really grounded guy in a world that is not grounded at all uh in, in southern california you seem like someone who you're, you're very particular about the work you take you're very particular about the roles you play and is, is was that purposeful or is that just kind of Oh, sure. I mean, I, I'm sure everyone out here has an idea of what they want to be. Whether or not you can realize it is like a different um, a different skill than dreaming what it might be. Um, I'll use this opportunity to talk about Lynn Palmer, who, so, what, I mean, come on. Do you have him, how long have you been to school, Lynn? 31 years. 31 years. I mean, like, and, I, and by the way, Lynn took over for admissions like literally the year my sister went? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, because that will be the year after I left, right? And honestly, what you've done with the school, I've said this before, but what you've done in terms of, you know, because it's the gatekeeper, right, like that kind of sets the tone. But uh, when I've returned, uh, I spoke at graduation a couple of years ago, and I remember thinking, how like these kids will be kind of saying snarky things because I would have said something snarky and I realized no, these kids are all great. <laughs> They're so much better. They're so much nicer than me. Like I would never get into this school now. <laughs> like, but I, uh, um, anyway, uh, Lynn, uh, for instance, um, a lot of it's extracurricular. I found that's one of the, you know, my wife didn't go to boarding school. She went to uh, public school and she lived at home. Um, and when I've explained to her what's great about boarding school, I, it was great what was in the classroom. It's a fantastic education. But some of it, or I would say, I think the stuff that's the most important for me was, maybe because I'm not such a good student, but is the extracurricular stuff or the stuff that, um, you know, TJ uh, is a history teacher, Lynn's husband. He's a great history teacher. I never had him as a teacher. Uh, he, I think I had uh, an issue where I, God, I wonder if TJ would even remember this, where I wrote a speech for a kid. Um, just we were hanging out in the dorm and I had an idea for a speech competition and he entered and won. And it was because of my writing. And I didn't know how I felt. It was a real moral quandary for me. Like, should I tell, like I, I won that award essentially. But I, you know what I mean? Like anyway, I had a weird uh, moment and I saw TJ and he, I don't even know if he'd remember this, but he talked to me about it in the dining hall because, you know, you caught one of your teachers. He wasn't even my teacher. You just got a guy that you trusted and uh, and he helped me kind of work through it. And uh, I said, I won't tell you who the student is. And then in telling him, I told I said the student's name like five times. You know what I mean? And uh, he was so great about it. And then a little while, and I thought he was really funny during morning announcements and, you know, all school and whatever. So... Then when um, we were doing making a video yearbook, a friend of mine and I had petitioned to get an Avid uh, first it's kind of digital editing system at the school, and we we're making the video yearbook for the class of 97, and we wanted someone to be the anchor man for it. And we thought, oh, man, TJ's hilarious. Would he do it? And so then we were spending Sundays. I mean, this poor guy, he, he had a life, right? I mean, he had a family. <laughs> what were we doing to TJ? But that's what's so great. You're in 
you're in a uh, microcosm, you know, you're in a community. And I felt like a lot of the teaching happened in between the cracks. Um, mm -hmm. That's really well said. Yeah. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about looking, looking back, what, do you have any thoughts you'd want to offer to any of the students that you actually might encounter in Estherbrook right now? Like yourself, they, they are good, promising people. Sure. They're younger than you are right now, but they, they're in a world that is vastly more complicated, perhaps. What I would say to them is do not come to Hollywood or I will stop you from having a career. Okay, <laughs> don't come for me. You're younger. Yeah, you're more beautiful or whatever, but I will end you if you come out here. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, I, who did I, uh, bumped into someone from Brewster recently and I love it. I mean, it's, it's rare that you meet someone from the East Coast out here, let alone someone from, uh, from Brewster. The advice I would give is kind of what I gave when I spoke um, to the class of 2008, 9, 14, I do uh, John Lithgow, who, because of Bonnie and Terry Turner, who gave me a big break and wrote Third Rock from the Sun, he was my graduation speaker. And he uh, gathered from the teachers information about all the students and wrote a poem called A Ballad for Bubble Babies because we were the first class that went through the um, model and we started in that. You know, do they still call it the bubble? Still call it yeah. the bubble. And so I thought it was so fantastic that he personalized this poem for all of us and he's such a great artist i thought i'm gonna you know bite off that i'm gonna do the same thing so i had uh, mr campbell who uh was you know did the music for all the plays and i'm still close with and i love i said would you because you're the only teacher that really sees all the students uh or most of them would you send an email to everyone saying please send an email back to andy campbell and then i'll forward them to topher and he wants memorable experiences of the whole year. And one student wrote an email. Kwan Narathip Kahunsik wrote a email detailing some of his fun times at Brewster. How, how many kids are in the senior class? Probably 105, something like that. All right, so that's less than 1% mm -hmm. wrote me a email. Now, I get it. Like, I checked out so hard senior year, second half. You know, once I got into college, I, I mean... I went to the classes, but, you know, I was so ready to, you know, go see the world and whatever. But my, uh, what I did during that graduation speech is I said, I had a huge trophy made out here. I went to a trophy store, I mean, a huge garish trophy. And I said, this is for, this is the, you know, the, I know someone famous award. And it's going to Kwan Narathip Kahansik because you're all going to want to, you know, take pictures with me today or ask me questions about Mila Kunis and Ashton Kutcher or, you know, I met the kid who played Thor or whatever. And I'm only talking to Kwan because Kwan did the work, you know, and it's it's uh, my advice would be, you know, Brewster is a wonderful place, but you really have to put that stuff into action and uh, and you're. I mean, I think you're privileged to just kind of like live in this country, right? But you're super privileged to go to a place like Brewster. And if you can have that experience, you need to, around the time I was asking them to write that letter, you got to start putting it into action. Um, and I was very uh, happy with Quan, and we hung out all afternoon and, uh, and Quan and I took a lot of selfies. This podcast is called The First Thinkers Podcast. It's actually... 
we're playing off of a few words in the school's mission statement, and the school's mission statement is Brewster prepares diverse thinkers for lives of purpose. And what, what would you say your life, the purpose of your work is right now? Well, I mean, not every film can be like Black Klansman. I'm so lucky to be a part of it. Um, first of all, there are very few films every year that are even good. It's such a hard medium. There's so many moving parts. I mean, there's a, a music element, and a actor element, and editing. And uh, so, I mean, I, I used to think I wanted to direct until I've worked with these great directors and I realize how hard it is. Um, so, yes, my purpose would be to be in this movie next year. It won't happen because even the odds that there's someone that's my age that's a character in the, in the three films that are good next year is so slim. Um, but uh, I really like knowing no matter what the movie, no matter how good, because they're all different levels of good, uh, knowing my utility in the film. And, and by the way, when we were filming this movie, we didn't know it was going to be this good. I mean, uh, I wasn't in charge of it, but I was in charge of my character. So I would say, be it acting or not, the thing at 40 that I'm really interested in is doing my job the best it can be done. Like, I don't need to produce the movie, but I need to produce my performance. And, uh, and so I've had fun. The last couple of movies, I felt very, um, as long as I take care of that part of it, then I leave it to Spike or whoever to, to, you know, do the rest. And hopefully every actor kind of feels that way and it all kind of comes together. And I, I, I think you, you might be selling yourself a, a little bit short on that one because my, my view of, of your character, and, and again, I'm a school teacher, so how uh, far be it for me to, to act like a movie critic, but what was most uh, moving about your character was that it, it, it must have been hard to be on that set and be in the presence of someone who was delivering uh, your performance in a way that you did uh, and not be affected by it in, in a significant way. Oh, yeah. and well, the research was, uh, you have to do research on kind of any role you do, but this research was horrible. I mean, just, it's a, juicy role i mean he's a terrible guy but it's a really wonderful role i was happy to get it and then i realized the next month was just going to be the worst month of my life because uh people know who he is so you have to kind of do an impression and then on top of it you have to understand where he's coming from and you know i had to read his autobiography which is uh thick it's a doorstop and uh it's really his mind comp it's like just uh devastating you feel complicit almost kind of just you know, processing the words and uh, watch a lot of filmed interviews and I listened to his radio show to get his voice and uh, actually watched the best was there were some episodes of Donahue he was on where he, you could see he had, uh, he was brought on as a villain and he didn't turn the crowd, but they were like listening to him a little bit more at the end. I thought, oh man, this guy is so evil. So that was the most um, uh, informative thing was watching Donahue and just watching how he worked people over. He's very charming, um, even though what he's saying is um, the opposite of how he's saying it. Uh, so yeah, it was the the uh, it wasn't as much fun as doing other movies, but uh, you know, we just my wife and I just had a daughter, uh, and in a very confusing time to have. Uh, to have a child and uh and i thought uh i'm so lucky because it's not us saying it it's it's spike saying it but i'm so lucky i get to help him 
say something that's that uh, means something to me. You're so frustrated, and we're all so frustrated. You know, no one can really, uh, you know, no one can say anything on a national level except for <laughs> except for the couple people who won't shut up. <laughs> but uh, but here I got to be with someone who I agree with what he's saying, and he and he got to say it on a national level. Well, I, I saw that the the, the spike. Lee chose the the footage from Charlottesville, in particular, the footage of a of a car seemingly haphazardly bashing into people. You're not sure if it's if it's uh, the, the white nationalists or or the Black Lives Matter people who are getting run over, and that seems to be right. the metaphor that that uh, is this. Although it wasn't the white nationalists, <laughs> right, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, yeah. But as I as I as I think about kind of what you know, the work that you guys are doing, it is an awful lot about shining the light of day on on those realities so that we don't forget because there is so much information coming at us that, that the, the movie was slow and it was uh, ruminative and it was it was pretty meaningful. I must, we, you know, as a, someone who is lucky enough to work at Brewster, I got to say, so proud to know that someone who came through. Oh, thank you, man. By the way, Brewster, it means a lot to know that Brewster is in the hands of someone who feels that way about. I mean, it's it's a uh, uh, all the audiences I've seen it with have all felt pretty much the same way. But I'm sure it is a very divisive film, and it's really important that someone like you, who's a leader in a community like that, uh, is outspoken like you're being, uh, because there's. Uh, because there aren't both sides. <laughs> right. There's only one side. That's right. And so I think we should probably wrap it up now because you have to get upstairs for a, a screening with the, the Academy soon. I never thought I'd say that. I never thought I'd be speaking on a podcast. But, <laughs> but Would you I, like to thank the Academy? I'd like to thank the Academy, and I'd also like to thank Topher Grace for joining oh, us on this you, edition man. of Diverse Thinkers Podcast. And we hope that you come back and see us. Oh, absolutely. I, I still really am so grateful. Uh, it's uh, real personal relationships like I now have with you, but that I have with Lynn and TJ and Andy and uh, and I and I can't believe it. This you know it means I'm 40 that I'm not calling you Mrs. Palmer. <laughs> so that's our real takeaway. That's that's what happened in the last 20 years. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time. We wish you luck with with uh, the proceedings this evening, and and thank you, Lynn Palmer, who is both uh, the muse for Topher Grace and the recording engineer. <laughs>